It is time for Health Naturally, and we do that every week with Dennis Stewart. Good afternoon, Dennis. This week, what have you got on the big program for us? Oh, look back, I thought we'd take up something um, controversial. I guess everything I say is a bit controversial. <laughs> but um, don't, don't do that to me. I'm sitting in for you this week. <laughs> I, want, I want to just talk to the listeners about what's called homeopathy. And it is a very controversial healing modality, but yet interestingly... Of all the so-called alternative or complementary therapies, homeopathy is the one that's most medically practised. And yet, it is from the mainstream medical camp that most opposition comes. So I want to look at homeopathic medicine, homeopathy, see what it does. Does it have a place in the modern world? And why is it so popular? Dennis, you're saying what a big fan of popular culture and the King Elvis Presley you were while the break was on. Than that. No better than you that. You know better than that. Okay. I, I listened to Pavarotti on my way coming here, so I think he, he's got a bit of an edge. A bit of an some, edge. Some of the competitors in the pop world. And this week he has, well, homeopathy on his mind. And uh, Dennis, I guess for those who might not be completely aware of homeopathy, can you tell us in a broad sense what homeopathy is? Okay. Homeopathy is a, a healing modality or a healing art that was um, discovered, if you want to call it that, by the Austrian physician, Dr Samuel Hahnemann, towards the latter part of the 18th century. It, it's basically a modality that is based on something that is found in the ancient Greek literature on medicine, which puts forward the, the, the hypothesis that like can cure like. And this means that a substance, say something like a stinging nettle, that can cause severe symptoms of allergenicity and rash on the skin, that substance can be converted into a medicine, a tincture or a pillule, and that medicine then, based on stinging nettle, can be used to treat a spectrum of skin diseases similar to those that the nettle itself would establish, so that when one is stung, say, by urtica, that's its botanical name, or stinging nettle, one develops a skin condition like a hive. We call it urticaria, after the stinging nettle. Now, in that situation, skin lesions or skin conditions, regardless of their etiology, that are characterised by hive-like symptoms, that is, large wheels of redness, of inflammation and itch, very frequently, those lesions found in, in, in many stubborn skin conditions, uh, many of them associated with allergenicity, many of those skin conditions, eczemas, dermatitis conditions, will take up when a tincture or what we call a potency of homeopathy is prescribed on the basis of like cures like. Uh, another good example would be if one gets stung by a bee, which I frequently do, by the way... <laughs> if, if one they, must, gets, they must love you. They do. We have a, a very close relationship. If one gets stung by a bee, one of the symptoms of a bee sting will be, st will be swelling. Uh, swelling of the skin, swelling of the eyes, swelling of the face. These are frequently seen and they can be quite troublesome. So bee venom or a bee sting sets up symptoms associated with its being well not ingested but it penetrating the skin now if you have uh, patients in practice that present 
with conditions that are characterised by much swelling. Say someone who periodically experiences uh, an allergic condition from, from multiple potential allergens and the symptom is always one of significant swelling around the eyes or elsewhere. Frequently the prescribing by the professional homeopath of what's called apis after the bee, apis mollifica is the bee's name so a homeopathic preparation of, a of apis mollifica in what's called a potency a very 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 minute dosage of that preparation will see that swelling symptomatology dissipate and you have to see it to believe it and now let me just point out that the skill in this is based on the practitioner having studied the homeopathic materia medica for many many years and becoming very familiar with the in, ins and outs of making the correct selection because unless you match intimately the symptoms of the patient with the symptoms associated with the remedy you're going to get nowhere okay so obviously there is a, a huge amount of science and, and skill level mm. behind it um, but the basics seem to be fairly basics if you can get them right why does this need to be defended then homeopathy okay. is it that there's not enough evidence or there are some other uh -huh. factors at play uh -huh. dennis i think a bit of both let me first of all say this in my opinion and i've studied this intently because homeopathy interestingly is one of the first modalities that i ever studied i did a program from india on homeopathy an introductory program uh, which uh, showed me the validity of it india being one of the major countries where homeopathic medicine is practiced professionally. Let me just say this, that homeopathy is practiced mainly by medical practitioners and particularly, let me emphasize this, particularly in continental Europe, places like France, uh, places like Germany, places like Switzerland. These countries incorporate homeopathic medicine into their mainstream. In fact, in those countries, you can't practice homeopathy unless you're medically qualified. Which is interesting because uh, mm. you're mentioning first world countries, yes. there, but that's where a lot of the, uh, the, the criticism would probably also uh -huh. be coming. Well, that's true to an extent, but there's a, a very interesting book written, written by Lynn Payer called Medicine and Culture, and it's an excellent work which I've recommended to my students for many, many years, and I recommend it to any practitioner of any system of medicine, Lynn Payer's book, uh, Medicine and Culture, where that lady points out the difference between uh, medical systems, say in continental Europe and say in Anglo countries. In continental Europe, for instance, there's always been uh, a greater affinity um, for earthy uh, natural medicine, uh, whereas in the West, uh, so it's contended, the medical system there is very strongly structured around what we call evidence, uh, a very materialistic approach to it, a very mechanistic approach to it. So in the European context, homeopathic medicine is not seen as something uh, that is necessarily left field. It may have its limitations as far as meeting the expectations of the Western uh, medical scientific system of medicine, but the point is it has continued to be practised prolifically since the days of Samuel Hanneman, and in those countries the majority of practitioners would be medically trained who append to their mainstream medical modality homeopathy 
a strand of their practical skills which is drawn on to treat certain conditions. So that needs to be pointed out. Even though it is a controversial modality because of its premise, like cures like, I have no problem in accepting that. And even though it is controversial because the preparation that is prescribed is usually in such a minute dose that many question whether it could do anything, I have seen what it can do, and I'll talk about that later on. So the controversy is associated with a, a different perspective on medicine, I would contend, uh, of that of continental Europe and Anglo or English-speaking countries, the way in which in continental Europe herbal medicine and homeopathic medicine has never been seen as something uh, completely alien. It's been something that's been well-practised, uh, well-structured, uh, well-documented. Most of the text that I have used both in my reading on homeopathy and in my teaching of it because I graduated a group of students uh, at an advanced diploma level at the Arimba um, campus of the university a number of years ago. Um, so most of the textbooks are that are used are written by medical practitioners, many with high qualifications, extremely well qualified in homeopathy and all vouching for its clinical efficacy. Which is very interesting. Dennis, now you, yeah. you mentioned yeah. earlier that, uh, that that there's a high sort of skill set required yes, for this yes. and obviously getting all the dosages sure. right. In Europe, you have to be a medical practitioner yes. before you can move on. Uh, beyond all of that, are there some other skills that would be really uh, required to okay. go along with this? Let me just temper what I've said. Um, in my, in, as far as I know, the majority of practitioners in, in Europe would need to be medically trained. There's very rigid rules, from what I understand in Europe, about who should practice any system of medicine. For instance, the famous French homeopath, Maurice Messagois, who treated all the great names in Western Europe after the Second World War, uh, he was a, how can I call it, a practitioner of herbal medicine, taught by his father, taught all the great names, but yet, uh, paradoxically, was arrested for practising medicine without a licence, only to be apologised to by the sentencing judge whose wife had been, had been treated by Morrison. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is uh, the majority of practitioners, as far as I understand, are medical, and that would similarly be the situation in the UK. Let me give you an example. Um, the UK has an excellent training facility in Great Ormond Street, London, uh, where a postgraduate course is taught two medical practitioners who retreat frequently to Great Ormond Street to do the postgraduate course and come out uh, using the, uh, the letters F.F. Hom, Fellow of the Faculty of Homeopathy, and a number of my um, students who studied herbal medicine with me were doctors who had been to Great Ormond Street qualified as, as, as homeopathic practitioners. Uh, Glasgow, for instance, uh, has a Glasgow infirmary that dispenses homeopathic medicines in this country for instance and I think it still exists there was a small residential um, hospital facility in Glebe that functioned for many many years and was staffed by uh, by homeopathic practitioners in the Sydney region there is a skill set and in my opinion homeopathy's demands these days pretty well require the person to have an excellent understanding of conventional medicine and also the limitations associated with homeopathy. And it is one of those modalities that, in my opinion, even though I utilise it myself as a non-medical practitioner, in my opinion, it is best practised 
by medical practitioners who have been medically trained but then who have enthusiastically embraced the tenets of homeopathy and append that uh, to their training as a modality to access here and there where their main medical modality is not giving them the results. It's a great appendage, in my opinion, to a mainstream um, medical training. And I could rattle off, even at this moment, at least, at least a dozen general practitioners that I've had the pleasure of working with, teaching or meeting, who have done just that, append to their main modality this option, not seeing it as something that's got all the answers, but it's an option to draw on, particularly when you're getting nowhere in some treatment situations. And, of course, there's that uh, judge you mentioned earlier that uh, of, uh, abides by one of those great laws for living happy wife, happy life. That's a lot That's of truth in that. <laughs> <laughs> I would vouch for that. Dennis, we are heading uh, to Carol, and Carol wants some help with a broken arm. Hello, Carol. Hello, Dennis. How are you today? I'm oh, well, indeed. Tell me about your broken arm, Carol. Um, I have a broken humerus right yes. at the top near my shoulder. Yes. And it's completely snapped right through. Yes. Uh, I've been like this for three weeks, yes. and I've been told I have another three weeks of doing, I think, arm in a sling and can't okay. move. Okay. I've been rubbing Arnica and Comfrey good. into it. Good, good, good. Um, and I'm taking some... I've been taking silica with vitamin um, D and calcium. Mm. I'm just wondering if there's anything else I really should be any, taking any, or okay. helping. In any break of the bone, in my opinion, uh, could be helped quite significantly by using a supplement known as Allantoin. Jot that down, A-L-L-A-N-T-O-I-N. Now, Allantoin is one of the most useful devices for promoting and stimulating the healing of broken bones. Uh, Interestingly, Allantoin is one of the active principles of the herb comfrey, botanically known as symphytum. Now, comfrey is not permitted to be prescribed medically as an oral medication for very good reasons, that one of its other constituents is an alkaloid um, which can have problems. But allantoin, uh, either extracted from comfrey or from other sources, is remarkable and well-documented in the literature. If you were to Google it up, you'll see that what I am saying is absolutely correct. And I have seen in my career... Uh, numerous cases of people, mature age people, who have had serious fractures that have been very slow and painful to heal, go on to Allantoin, the little powdered preparation, one only takes basically a pinch of it daily, mm. and, and see the whole process accelerate to the extent that it is little less than miraculous. And I don't usually use that term because it's an overused term. But if what you're doing with those uh, preparations you're using is very, very good, but what I'd suggest you do, uh, where do you live? Uh, Stockton. Okay. If you went, say, to Visionary Health... Right. ...and, uh, and tell them uh, what I've spoken about, Alan Toyn, mm. they should be able to give you a preparation there, the oral preparation, that could be taken to get that value. I think in conjunction with what you're doing, that would be an excellent move. The only other thing that I would say is that in homeopathic medicine, which we've been talking about, in the French homeopathic literature, um, ruta graviolans, R-U-T-A, ruta graviolans, which is the botanical name for the herb rue, 
it is used in a homeopathic potency, as we call it, mm. around about the 6X potency. Rue should not be used as a crude herb. It should only be used as a homeopathic potency. And using rue as a homeopathic oral preparation in that potency is a useful way also of lessening some of the discomfort associated with the break. So falling back on on, on well-documented natural medicine approach, Alan Toyne to stimulate and sustain a more rapid healing and Rutagraviolin's 6X potency used as an oral medication to alleviate some of the distress. Thank you very much, Carol. And, Roz, you've got an irritating cough. It's giving you some problems at night. Yeah, I have. I've, um, I think it's to do with hay fever, and I've reluctantly gone and got some um, antibiotics, but it's still um, occurring. I've finished those, so I don't actually have any um, nasal... Um, discharge but okay. when I lay down I can feel like a post-nasal drip. drip okay and then about half an hour after I've gone yep. to bed I wake up coughing and then I actually am sick okay um, it seems to me that your understanding of it is pretty sound the catarrh as we used to call it that is the, secre- yep. the secretions of the sinuses to be very simple are obviously running down the back of your throat and I'm talking very very simplistically here that can yep. create irritation and the cough is a reflex to try to solve that by expectorating it or bringing it up, so to speak. What you, need, what, what you need to do is just simple things. Keep it simple because this has not been a chronic long-standing thing. It's only something that's occurred recently. Christmas time. I've had a history of hay fever. Okay. um, Okay. Yeah. If if that's the case, and I'll keep it very simple for you, these are the things that I would recommend that you get hold of from your pharmacy or your health food store. Where do you live? Um, Rutherford. Okay. Well, there'd be good health food stores around Maitland or your pharmacy there. First of all, get some capsules of the herb fenugreek. Right. Now, fenugreek is renowned as an agent to address inflammatory states of the upper respiratory system that manifest themselves in catarrh or mucus. An encapsulated, okay. an encapsulated course of that would be excellent. At the same time, don't forget the preparation horseradish and garlic with vitamin C. Okay. Use that in conjunction with it. Both preparations are very economical, very easily accessed and very safe. And what I'd suggest you do for your cough condition just use something like honey or the old-fashioned remedy, Bonington's Irish Moss, until the throat is soothed and then you Bye. can retreat from it. I'd give that a go. That's harmless. Thank th- you. That's harmless therapy. And if you use the other two oral supplements ongoingly for a while, you might find that your incidence of experiencing this uh, inflammatory condition and the subsequent mucus might drop away. Thank you so much, Dennis. Good on Thank you. you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Ros. Of course, uh, Dennis, there is a third option. What's that? Just make sure she doesn't go to sleep. Don't lay down. Don't go to sleep. You won't have the cough. It won't appear. She's not like you. You're, no. a, you're a super person. <laughs> Let's not go that far, but, yeah, a bit of sleep wouldn't, be, wouldn't go astray. And good afternoon to Mick. You've got a question about a chronic knee infection for Dennis this afternoon. Yeah. Um, I was ringing up uh, last week, Dennis. Um, you made a comment. A uh, lady rang you, she had a problem with uh, knee infection and she was needing surgery. Oh, yes. And you yes, spoke, yes. 
you spoke of another lady who'd had uh, chronic sort of infection yes. and you yeah. named three substances which um, she um, decided or started to take and okay. it either eliminated or totally controlled the okay. infection and my what? mum has a similar situation oh, so dear, I was just dear. wondering if I could get those... Yeah. Well, look, what what um, what we were saying here was that here were a number of cases where um, elderly or mature aged people um, were lined up to have um, knee surgery, knee replacement um, surgery in particular. I'm thinking of two cases here. The problem being, however, that um, a, a chronic settled infection um, of the knee had precluded the surgical procedure. And in, in, in one startling case, the, the lady from the upper hunter that saw me um, uh, had not had freedom from this problem for months and months and months and months. And as a result of using a combination primarily of, of herbs and bioflavonoids, uh, we seem to have broken through that situation and she was declared to be free of the infection. And the last time I saw her, she had been booked in by her surgeon to have the knee surgery. Now, the the approach here is not in any way at all to dispute the validity of mainstream usage of antibiotics, etc. The use of the herbs here was a, a means of trying to break through the chronicity or the recurrence of the infection that had seen the lady use one antibiotic after another uh, with increasing side effects and with uh, not brilliant results occurring. The herbs that I would have spoken about, uh, would, the, the leading remedy here is the a North American herb known as Echinacea, and that would, be, that would be taken as an oral supplement. And it is still one of the most remarkable remedies in what's called the Western system of herbal medicine. It would probably be uh, one of the top ten most important herbs, and its, its role is to address chronic infections, even quite serious infections, that are increasingly defying the antibiotics. There would be echinacea, uh, golden seal, which is usually prescribed in conjunction with echinacea as oral medication, and the other remedy would be uh, calendula or greater marigold. Those three herbs, and there are other herbs also that share the same characteristics, those three herbs would likely be the three that I spoke about that I frequently prescribe in addressing these chronic uh, infections. They're taken as oral medication. Usually they're made up in a liquid form so that a dose is established for them and they're taken three times daily. At the same time, you would have heard me talk uh, constantly about the role of so-called bioflavonoids and bioflavonoids in conjunction with vitamin C, they're usually prescribed in conjunction with vitamin C, bioflavonoids also have a remarkable effect in improving the outcome in the treatment of infections, whether one is using a conventional antibiotic or seeking to use herbs to improve the patient's own natural resistance. So I think I would have mentioned those two things, bioflavonoids which are easily procured and the use of those three herbs in a liquid formulation. Thank you very much. Hope that helps you out, Mick. And good afternoon, Gordon. You've got a question for Dennis this afternoon too. Yes, thanks. Um, got uh, a drip and using uh, reflux tablets, um, Nexium. Yes. And uh, on the sarfen. 
yes. uh, for the BP. Yes, yes. Do they pay to use the uh, Bonington's Irish Moss? Okay. Bonington, Bonington's Irish Moss is a very, very safe preparation. It's just made on Irish Moss. It has no uh, serious or significant pharmacology. Now, what do I mean by that? It has no constituents in it, as far as I know, that would stimulate any major physiological repercussions. It works as a demulcent agent, that is, it works on soothing the upper part of the respiratory system, if you like putting a, a coating on the inflamed membrane and lessening, therefore, the irritation, giving the tissue a chance to heal and lessening, lessening the irritation that would bring on the cough. I could see no reason why using that old-fashioned medicine uh, would have any uh, clashing potential with what you're taking, albeit, as I always say, if you have any doubts, always run it past your pharmacist, but as far as I'm aware, it's one of the most safest preparations one can take. And a time for one more call of this afternoon. Kerry, uh, you've, got, you've had some hay fever, but overseas. What's going on? Oh, hello. Hello, Dennis. Hello, how uh, are you? Uh, look, I'm just being to see uh, if you've got any advice. Um, I, I'm travelling to the Northern Hemisphere yes. next month, yes. and it's my third trip. Yes. And on the previous trips, I've had really chronic hay fever and asthma yes. that normal pharm pharmaceutical um, things just don't help. Okay. And um, I don't get hay fever here in Newcastle at okay. all. Okay. Um, but is there anything that you could take to build up a resistance so that I could start taking something now that might help when I'm over there? Look, I'd, I'd suggest again you uh, fall back on uh, what I've been referring to already, that is uh, so-called bioflavonoids. One of, the, one of them in particular, called quercetin, is very, very useful in addressing allergenicity. It's, it's useful in building up allergenic resistance. So uh -huh. I'd start on using uh, some uh, bioflavonoids, again, which can easily be procured in various forms from your pharmacy or your health food store. At the, mm -hmm. at the same time, there is a homeopathic uh, preparation called Sabadilla. Uh, how do you spell that? Sabadilla is toxic when it's taken in a crude form, but when it's taken in a homeopathic preparation, probably round about 6X, it's, mm -hmm. it's very, very safe. And of all remedies in the homeopathic pharmacopoeia, it's probably the one that's most useful in addressing actually an episode of uh, hay fever if and when it occurs. I take, oh. it, I take it that in, in pillules with you in your kit bag and I mm. take some bioflavonoids even now and stay on those while right, you're over okay. there. Right, okay. And uh, that's uh, Fabadula. Is that something you can take when you get an attack of it or yes, do you have to keep yes. taking it? No, no, that is something that's an excellent acute homeopathic medication again must always be taken in a homeopathic form 6x being probably the the potency most useful for this condition it must never be taken crudely and you can get it uh, from a homeopathic pharmacy uh, or my rooms anywhere where you can't get it that's always available from my place Dennis, we've actually run completely out of time. Oh, so dear, we, how'd you do that? Oh, we, it just happened. Dear it just happened. Dear, what, a, what a topic. You are in demand, Dennis. We were look, just getting wound up. Look, we've got about 30 seconds. So, yeah. look, can you just wrap up homeopathy today in, yeah. in 30 seconds yeah. for us? Well, what I'd like to say is this. Don't be too sceptical about it. Realise that it is the most medically um, practised 
alternative medicine around the world, it is difficult to support using modern scientific paraphernalia. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. It does work. I have seen it work in my own practices. Medical practitioners using it would vouch for the efficacy of it when it is used in a selective range of areas. In my view, the best people that use uh, that should be using it would be medically qualified people that can be selective in what conditions to treat with homeopathic medicine. Dennis, as always, a fantastic, insightful mm. program. You'll be back oh, to do it. You, You'll be back next Friday oh, to do wonderful. it again. Wonderful, it's wonderful words. They roll off your tongue. Would you like to tell us what's on next week's big show? No, I'm not, comrade. No. <laughs> Alrighty, that's Dennis Stewart. As always, a great program on a Friday afternoon. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.